one of the client of one of my a memorable client interaction was when I had a client who walked in. It was a new client for a second opinion, mm-hmm. and she said to me, um, "So um, these are my goals." Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Ding, ding, ding! Right? This is great." You know, because I was going. That was going to be my next question mm-hmm. out of uh, she out of my mouth was, mm-hmm. "What are your goals?" Mm-hmm. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. All right. So we'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Wendy Hauser, DBM. She is uh, she established Peak Veterinary Consulting in January 2005 after working as an industry actually let's reread that 2015. 2015. <laughs> after working as an industry technical services veterinarian, what is a technical services veterinarian? A technical services veterinarian is a veterinarian that works for a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. In my case, I worked for Marielle. They make Frontline and HeartGuard and NextGuard, mm-hmm. and I supported a team of sales reps, eight sales reps, and their manager in the Pacific Northwest. So I flew to the Pacific Northwest to various states. I had five states that Mm -hmm. I covered, about three out of four weeks. So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. That's a lot of travel. Um, With a DVM degree from Oklahoma State in 1988, she's practiced for 30 years as an associate owner and relief veterinarian. She's highly engaged in veterinary volunteer leadership, having served as a member of the American Animal Hospital Association's Board of Directors all these <laughs> all these associations make my make my brain just confused. Uh, as the board vice president and currently serves as the AAHA delegate to the ABMA House of Delegate House of Delegates, the co-author of the Veterinaries Veterinarian's Guide to Healthy Pet Plans, she is an executive with Crum and Foster Pet Insurance Group and and the providers of the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, So what was your first job ever? Well, um, first job ever goes back to (laughs) when I was about 14. And my older sister was a art student at the Mm -hmm. local community college. And she was taking a um, a drawing class. Mm -hmm. And they needed a model. And so I was the life model for a drawing class. Oh, wow. That does not translate to what you do now. Not at all. And I <laughs> I did wear clothing. There you go. You were 14. We I was so. 14. Um, and I learned how to hold still for very long periods of time oh, without funny. moving. So your sister's an art, is an art and you our doctor. That's and my younger sister is a veterinarian as well. Oh, wow. So, yes. So I have two older sisters mm-hmm. and a younger sister. And the two older sisters are much older than I am. Um, they are 14 and 11 years older oh, than wow. I am. Oh, wow. So um, a separate family from my mom. Right. It's um, two different. Yes. And so um, so they have their career paths. And um, obviously, uh, as you were commenting on my white hair earlier, <laughs> um, I'm a little bit older. So um, they're in their golden retirement at this point. Oh, wow. And then my younger sister is a veterinarian, but she does not practice. She chose to teach for a while, and um, she has also retired. Wow. It's interesting. I always think it's interesting, like, how siblings do different, you know, have mm-hmm. different 
They're just completely different people. She missed her calling. She should have been an engineer. Oh, really? We were talking earlier about thinking in numbers. Uh She does definitely think in numbers. That's funny. My brother's an engineer. Yeah. So we got that whole numbers and (laughs) thing. So give us a quick overview of your background. I I read some of it, but. Sure. So, So I graduated in 1988 from veterinary school. I'm an Oklahoma native, Mm -hmm. so I went to Oklahoma State. I moved to the East Coast for seven and a half years where I was an associate in two different hospitals, very different hospitals. The first was a 12 veterinarian, main hospital, three satellite. They added a fourth satellite while I was there, and that was way back in 1988. That's a big hospital. So that doctor was really visionary, um, and he brought in a lot of junior partners that now Mm -hmm. own that large grouping of hospitals. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, And then I left after two years to go to a startup hospital. I was her first associate. I think she'd been around for about two years. Mm -hmm. And so very, very different experiences. Helped grow that practice for about five and a half years. And then my husband, who was in pharmaceutical sales, had a corporate reload of Colorado. And Mm -hmm. we did want to move Um, back out this way. Mm -hmm. He's from New York City. Oh, wow. I'm from Oklahoma. (laughs) So I was missing the beautiful sunshine that we get in this part of the country. Even in Oklahoma, we get a fair number of sunny days, not like here, but still. Yeah. So I was from the Tulsa area. And um, and so we moved to uh, uh, we moved here in 1995. And I worked for a great guy here. Mm -hmm. Um, We were very different from a practice um, standpoint. So, um, and really from a management standpoint, mm. very different. Oh, that's cool. So I went kicking and screaming into practice ownership. I did not want to go into ownership. <laughs> All I could see it was, was a big bowl of noodles and messy. Yeah. And, and my husband is like, I, I can't take it. You've got to be an owner. You need to be your own queen bee. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, I'll get the financing and I'll write the business plan. You just have to make it successful. Mm-hmm. And so we ran a beautiful little hospital for about 10 years. And then we were offered the, we weren't really looking to sell, Mm -hmm. but we were offered more than we thought the hospital was worth. Um, Sat on the offer for about six months, counteroffered three times, two of the three counteroffers were accepted and decided then to sell in 2008, November 2008. My my husband's stellar at business Mm -hmm. and we saw the recession coming about a year out. Oh, wow. So, uh, So it was a great choice for us, the hospital. Um, the people who bought the hospital, it was a corporation, were very, very good to my employees and to me. And uh, I left after four and a half years to become the technical services veterinarian. I love it. And then um, I was 16 months into that career, and they decided to dissolve the Pacific Northwest Territory oh, and no. farm all my reps out to different um, managers. And they offered me the position in Virginia, but my husband had just gotten accepted into nursing school here. Oh, that's he right. had uh, retired from, mm-hmm. from the pharmaceutical company and decided to pursue a passion that he had, had thought about for a very mm-hmm. long time. And the appeal of living apart from him for two years just wasn't there. Especially while he's in nursing school, that's a lot of work. Yeah, so I, I said, you know what, I think I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start another business. My husband was laughing. You're a serial entrepreneur, he says. Most so, of us are. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I started my consulting business and was actually recruited out of that full time. I still do it mm-hmm. on what little free time I have, mm-hmm. um, but was recruited full time out of that to work as um, a, an executive with Carmel Forster Pet Insurance. That's awesome. 
Um, so why don't, can you talk a little bit about some of the greatest, um, like obstacles and successes you had as a practice owner? Sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I was lucky to come in on the tail end of your last interview Mm -hmm. and and that gentleman was talking about culture. And I would say that, um, that is one of the biggest challenges, Mm -hmm. um, that when I opened my business was not a very well talked about aspect of Mm -hmm. running a successful business. And so I had already mentioned to you in casual conversation that I had a practice implosion in 2003. Mm -hmm. And that was all related to the culture that I was allowing run amok in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, I had created a really entitled staff, um, used extrinsic motivators hugely, restricted people within their job roles, Mm. um, didn't give them the autonomy to do the jobs that they needed to do. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a big learning experience. I hired a consultant at that point but he was very operational minded. Again, 2003, we, we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know about emotional culture. We didn't really understand the mm-hmm. impact of cognitive culture. So, um, so as I went along, and and I would say probably in about 2010 mm-hmm. is when things really started mentally clicking for me, um, and so we were able to to get things going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd already sold the hospital at that point. Oh, wow. It was nice, but it wasn't the culture. When I left that hospital, we had an awesome culture. That's awesome. So I I think that the hardest thing that an owner does, Mm -hmm. and when I do talk with my consulting clients, Mm -hmm. I can make them wildly more successful than they are now just Mm -hmm. by doing operational changes, Mm -hmm. but they won't stick Mm -hmm. unless you change the culture. And the hardest thing that I did was every single day I had to uphold the culture in the practice. And it's hard to shift a culture when you, like, were an associate in a different culture or, you know, because you had associate, you had already been an associate and you had run your own practice for a long time. But a lot of the time we run those businesses like we had been run, I find. I I just think it was not knowing. It was ignorance on my part. Mm -hmm. Um, And once... Uh, one great thing about me personally and about most veterinarians is that we have to be lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And so as I became aware of culture and the impact on business, and and as I said to your last guest, I, I think that it is the single biggest predictor, a healthy culture mm-hmm. is the single biggest predictor of any business's success. I totally agree with that. So um, that was, the I would say, one of the, the best learning lessons mm-hmm. that I had. So now I can be, you know, I work with hospitals um, on culture, mm-hmm. uh, independent hospitals on culture. I present very frequently nationally and internationally on culture and leadership and communication. Um, things are all very passionate to me. And I get to help to uphold and drive a really healthy culture in my day job, which is as an executive with a pet insurance company. That's awesome. Um, so, so what advice would you give a newer vet on opening their own practice? Um, there are a lot of things that I would learn. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I've learned along the way. Mm-hmm. And the first is don't repeat my mistakes. Yeah. So hire a good consultant. Mm-hmm. There's a plethora There's of them out there now. Mm-hmm. So find a consultant that fits with you and mm-hmm. your personality and understands your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it will cost you some money up front, but you will make so much of that money back plus some mm-hmm. if you don't 
uh, repeat the mistakes that I made. Right. How, you know, start a great culture. As we were talking mm -hmm. before we started yeah. interviewing, understand what your fee structure needs to be. A fee structure that's fair to you, but fair to your clients mm -hmm. too. Because you have to make money or it's not going to work. Uh, veterinary business, medicine is a business. Yeah. I always said I cannot keep pets healthy if I can't keep my business healthy because I won't be able to open the doors. Right. So you have to embrace that side mm -hmm. of it. Um, communication is key. How do you create a great culture that partners with clients mm -hmm. and has a great open communication right. and, and that reinforces the value of, of what you recommend for the well-being of that pet? So there's a lot of, of advice I would give, but I think the best is find trusted advisors. Right. When I work with startups, and they are my preferred, mm -hmm. uh, I always recommend getting a, a veterinary-specific accountant. Mm -hmm. I always recommend getting a veterinary-specific attorney. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do say that is there are great attorneys and accountants out there, mm -hmm. but this is a really weird industry. Yeah. And so it really helps to have someone who understands the benchmarks, mm -hmm. as we were talking, yeah. and someone who, who understands all of the different mm -hmm. um, functions. What should non-competes look like? What's a reasonable non-compete? Mm -hmm. How do you protect yourself in yeah. some of these contracts you sign, either as an owner or as an associate? Mm -hmm. um, partner with people that will help you to drive your goals. And to understand, you know, how do you understand your financials? Because veterinarians aren't taught accounting. No. They're not taught law. No. They're not taught any of these things. And just like, you know, there's other professions where basically you come out of school and all sure. of a sudden you're a business owner. But you have to learn that on top of the rest of the things you need to learn. And when you're coming out of school, you have enough on your plate taking the knowledge that you've learned and transforming yourself it. into a really great doctor. Mm -hmm. um, that, And that's why most veterinarians don't open practices as soon as they graduate. Now, there are a few exceptions, and yeah. they've been wildly successful, <laughs> but they also had some past business experience. Yeah. So it made it a little easier for them. Yeah. It might be their so, second career or yeah. on top of their business degree. or Yeah. Yeah. An MBA is not enough either. I was having this conversation with my husband the other day, and he's like, I think I'll get my MBA. And I'm like, I don't think I could. I would survive an MBA program. I probably know way more than they do. And I'll probably be like, no, 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 but we're not doing this anymore. We're doing this. <laughs> you know, I do see a lot of people getting MBAs, a lot of veterinarians getting MBAs. Yeah. And I will admit that I, too, thought mm -hmm. about getting an MBA mm -hmm. at one point. Um, I went through the school of hard lock knocks. Yeah. And I think the question is, is there value to having an MBA after mm -hmm. my name? Maybe there would be for some roles, yeah. but certainly it's not inhibited me to this point. Yeah. I would enjoy it from the learning. Yeah. That would be yeah. uh, a hoot, but yes. I think uh, they have purpose um, in corporate America a lot more because people will hire MBAs into different roles. Or if, you hire, if you're an engineer with an MBA, right. they might put you in management or whatever. But I think if you're running your own business or you know, you're working in small business, an MBA just doesn't apply a lot of the time. If I would have gotten it before, it probably would have Maybe, been a great yeah, help, before you right? Maybe, yeah, corporate. Yeah, we well, well before I her. opened a hospital, <laughs> <laughs> I, would have, I would have been a little smarter there. <laughs> so what are some of the opportunities that vet practices um, have now that you didn't have when you had your, when you had your practice? Um, I think, again, as we were talking, mm -hmm. an awareness of the importance of culture mm -hmm. Um would be one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that there are a lot of resources that are available now that weren't available. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that there are great studies that show this is how we need to we need to be relating with our clients in a relational manner, not a transactional man, uh, 
uh, manner. And we need to be couching things in terms of the benefits to the clients and the patients Mm -hmm. and not in terms of tangibles. Well, I had to go to school to learn this or I had to buy this expensive piece of equipment Mm -hmm. or I need to have two people help me do this surgery. So it's going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. You as an owner could care less. Mm -hmm. But if I said to you, if we do this surgery, there's a really good chance that Fluffy will have a great quality of life for a long time to come. That's what you want to know. Mm-hmm. I can't put numbers to it. Yeah. But this is what this diagnostic will tell us. Mm-hmm. Having this diagnostic will help us to chart the course of what we need to do to mm-hmm. keep Fluffy with you as long as we possibly can. Yeah. So couching in terms of what's important. All of this communications training. That did not exist when I was in school. That did not exist. Uh, It did uh, probably maybe in the Mm mid-2000s start coming into vogue. Mm -hmm. And Colorado State has a great communications training. Um, Go Rammies. uh, Yeah. And again, you know, I'm not a Ram, but I I think they have a great vet school. And they do have do a lot of things right up there. And that communications training Mm -hmm. is one of the things that they do most right. I think it's very interesting that you say that because – when so our dog was having seizures, um, and every diagnostic I was just like, well, what is it going to tell us, right? So what is the outcome of this diagnostic? And they're like, well, we're pretty sure he has a brain tumor. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so what is would confirming that do anything for us? And they're like, no, they would just it would just tell us if we had a if he had a brain tumor or not. I was like, so it wouldn't help his quality of life. It wouldn't change his treatment. It doesn't change anything for us. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay. You know, and then everything they're like, well, you know, and it was just, it was always just like, is he going to have the quality of life? Is he going to have the quality of life? If we do this, does this change his quality of life? Can he stay with us longer? Right. Well, you're an enlightened owner. Because I, you know the true. questions to yeah, ask, well, right? Well, we knew what was important to us. We wanted right? him to come home and still have a semblance of what he had. And if that wasn't possible, we were going to make the decision. Right. To, you know, have him not come home. And quality of life. Um, I learned very early in my career mm-hmm. that there are two types of people in this world. <laughs> there are quality of life people yes. and there are quantity of life That's people. That's right. I've, I'm, and my I mother saw, is one of the other ones. <laughs> I saw some things early in my career that were just abysmal quantity of life examples. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older and a little bit more confident in my ability to um, wisely counsel my clients mm-hmm. – I have no problems now in saying my job is to advocate for your pet. I am your pet's voice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here are things to consider as far as that goes. Um, The most glaringly tragic case of quantity of life was a paralyzed, blind, deaf 15-year-old dog. Mm -hmm. So the dog couldn't move. And it came in every day at my first hospital to be boarded while the man went to work, the owner went to work, um, so that we could roll it every so often. Um, The dog had to be um, hand-fed. It it was, well, you know, that's a question for that that owner, right? And as a first-year (laughs) out-of-school veterinarian that's not a question i was going to ask but Mm -hmm. i certainly did ask my fellow Mm -hmm. veterinarians the senior um Mm -hmm. veterinarians and the owners why were we doing this Mm -hmm. so but i do think that that gets back to the partnership with clients and being able to um help your clients to as a client 
understanding how to advocate for your pet, mm-hmm. really taking the time to say what's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that man, it was the amount of time he had with his dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know what they were like at home. Mm-hmm. I could only tell you what I saw in the hospital. And mm-hmm. it was really sad, heartbreaking by my value system. Mm-hmm. Right. But that wasn't his value system. Yeah, his value system was that. Um, and so I think that um, one of the client, one of my, a memorable client interaction was when I had a client who walked in, it was a new client for a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, um, so, um, these are my goals. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ding, ding, ding. Right. This is great. You know, because I was going, that was going to be my next question mm-hmm. out of, uh, she, out of my mouth was mm-hmm. what are your goals? Mm-hmm. And she beat me to it and mm-hmm. she knew what her goals were. And guess what? We can work within the parameters of the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, her goal is to fix the dog's problem and to keep it that it was a female dog mm-hmm. in the home for an extended period of time with a great quality of life. Right. So that was a win all the way around. I mean, it works for business owners, too. A lot of time I'll be like, what's your goals? And they're like, well, I'm going to replace my salary. OK, that's not a goal. Or, you know, they'll say I want, you know, I want to save taxes. I'm like, but why? Yeah. What are you going to do with that money? Right. You know, if it's not going towards your goals, then we're just it's, it's just. You know, it's kind of futile usually because it's not getting you somewhere. Right. That a lot of people don't think about that. They don't. They don't. In business ownership and even with their pets, I think they know they have goals with their pets. Mm-hmm. They may just not have sat down to really consider those goals. Yeah. And we, you can tell what people's goals are if you spend enough time with them. You understand where they're going or they think they want to go. But a lot of people can't verbalize what they want. And so a lot of the stuff we do also with our clients is goal planning. Like, I need to know what you want. If you want a tax plan, I need to know why. You know, do you want to retire in 10 years or do you want to build a business you don't ever have to work in? Like, what are we what are we doing for this tax plan? What what do you want and how do we get you there? Um, But sometimes people are just like, I don't know what I want. They'll come back and be like, wow, nobody's ever asked me what I wanted. I think that that is very true. It is very true. We don't ask people what they want. No. No. And so I think that when I think to some of the advantages, those are some of the advantages. Mm -hmm. Now, there certainly are some disadvantages that new veterinary graduates have as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The debt is one. I was going to say, yeah, what are some of the biggest threats? So the debt load is is currently unsustainable. It has improved, Mm -hmm. but it's still a debt-to-income ratio of about 1.6% to one. So that means for every, uh, for any of your listeners who don't know, Mm -hmm. for a year's salary, their education is costing them 1.6 times that um, on a a yearly basis, if you Mm -hmm. would look at that, right? Mm -hmm. So so that debt to income ratio is really, really tough. They say that anything over about a one-to-one is not sustainable. Now, we are seeing a, a huge appetite for veterinarians and that's because of some shifting business models mm-hmm. within the veterinary space mm-hmm. and so right now it is in an associates market mm-hmm. um, we've, we've seen salaries come up significantly um, still not enough to correct that income to debt ratio that's though crazy. so I, I sat next to a young woman a few years ago at a luncheon mm-hmm. and I saw and she was with a, a classmate they lived in different states, and they came to this conference together to spend time together, mm-hmm. much like I used to do with my classmates, mm-hmm. too. And I said, so you guys have been out a couple years now. Tell me, how do you like being veterinarians? Mm-hmm. And they both said, we love it. We love it. We love it. Um, the only thing we don't like is the debt. 
And one was married and one was getting ready to get married. And Mm -hmm. the one who was getting ready to get married told me it's not even the debt. It's the interest on the debt. Mm -hmm. Um, I am paying $43 a day on the interest on my loan. Holy cow. How is she? She's never going to get out from under that ever. Uh, She's going to have to go with a debt repayment program and hope that in 25 years or 20 years that the government hasn't changed that program Mm -hmm. um, and that she can do actually an income-based repayment because it's just not sustainable. So there is that. And then I do think that the other thing we hear a lot about is mental health in our veterinarians. And certainly NPR has done some studies Mm -hmm. about this, um, but there's a fair amount of stress. There's compassion fatigue. There's a lot of psychological stress. Mm -hmm. So um, burnout. It's mental, emotional, and physical for you guys. It it is. It's all three. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There are a lot of different things that that really um, impact the the stress that veterinarians feel on a daily basis, mm-hmm. one of which is a client's inability to pay. Mm-hmm. And it's not because that doesn't mean they'll make it, they're making the money. It means that pets are not getting the services that the veterinarians truly feel that they need. And mm-hmm. they may be really basic services. Um, so that creates this huge moral uh, stress factor when you know that you need to be doing something for that pet. Mm-hmm. And yet the owner doesn't have the, the financial wherewithal to be able to do it. And again, I am not talking about drastic life-saving measures. Some of it may be as simple as putting them on heartworm preventive. Right, or know. just doing the labs or whatever. Right. So so it's um, very difficult for veterinarians because then they're ethical, they end up in an ethical um, quandary right. over this. Right, and they might be sacrificing themselves for the animals. Yeah. So, And, and I would say that this is not new. No. I mean, veterinarians – I had a classmate a year out of school Mm -hmm. in our first year that committed suicide. Suicide is not new in the veterinary Mm -hmm. field. Social media has certainly made the awareness of it Mm -hmm. more more open. And the fact that we're asking the questions um, of our new graduates and our mid-career graduates, uh, and we're having a much more open dialogue. And so that increases awareness. Mm -hmm. And then I think the final thing is that there is a little bit of a shift in who is – in these veterinary hospitals, mm-hmm. 80, 80 to 90% of all of the vet students across the nation are female. And so they want that, different lives that it's really hard. It's hard to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jamie, yeah, you're a working mom, a working mom. You know, it's hard to be a working mom. So mm-hmm. to balance things, I got really lucky. I have a renaissance man. And when we opened the hospital, he would pick the babies up. Our daughter mm-hmm. was eight months old. Our son was three. Yeah. And he would pick him up from a family daycare, mm-hmm. take him home, feed him, bathe him, get him to bed. And mm-hmm. I would come home after um uh, my mom and I, because I had no employees mm-hmm. when I opened my hospital. Um, my mom works for me too. Yeah. <laughs> so she came out and answered the phones and she would help me mop at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it had been a couple of days since I'd actually got to spend any time with my children, mm-hmm. my husband would, I would come home. Mm-hmm. He would go back and mop the, the hospital <laughs> so that I could get the babies asleep and mm-hmm. actually do their bedtime stories. Mm-hmm. But it was hard and it still is hard. And so you see there's this great um, – there's a great societal expectation for us to do everything, mm-hmm. and there's a self-imposed expectation for us to do everything. 
<laughs> You're speaking my language right now. <laughs> the amount of conversations I've had with people around this. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it makes nobody it else tough. can do it because you won't let them. Um, yes. I mean, we did hire a nanny, yeah. but there's still an overwhelming sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, my very insightful daughter, who's now a first-year med student, oh. not veterinary, mm-hmm. but medical, um, said to me, Mom, do you have any regrets in life? And I'm like, oh, regrets are good to read. Gosh, Elizabeth, I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. And she says, I said, oh, wait, I have one. We're in the car. Mm-hmm. Best conversations happen. Oh, yeah. I always, I always, like, bring up crazy stuff in the car with kids. Yeah. Great, I'm great. Like, Let's talk about, and they're like, "Oh God, now we're stuck." <laughs> <laughs> yes, because they are stuck. They are it's stuck. Great. <laughs> and so I said, "You know, I really wished I could have stayed home with you and your brother when you were little, or been home a little bit more." Mm-hmm. And I said, "But think about what that would have meant for our quality of life. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been a hospital owner. Um, we wouldn't have had an asset to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't have." been able to have the benefits that that afforded to both you and your brother mm-hmm. um, at this point in life. And certainly we wouldn't have been able to indulge your father um, being able to go, go back to school mm-hmm. and, and he's now in a master's program. So you know, all these things work out and it was a little bit of sacrifice mm-hmm. um, early on when kids are little and moms don't want to hear this, mm-hmm. but I believe this is true. They need a loving, attentive caregiver. That's all they need. They don't necessarily need mom or dad 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. It's when they get older that they're more demanding of your time. Mm -hmm. So yours are 9 and 11. So get ready because about in the next four years, they're going to need you a whole lot It's about that quality. It's about that quality. I feel like they need less quantity now because they're pretty self-sufficient at this point. They can feed themselves. You know, they Mm -hmm. really don't need us. They can do their laundry. You know, our kids are very self-sufficient because we've required that. But they need to know that we're there for them. And so, like, even just 10 minutes just laying down with them or just sitting on the couch with them, that's what they – that's what they need. They need it. And so so to all the moms out there (laughs) and dads that are feeling guilty about maybe not being with the children when they're little tiny, little nascent humans Mm – They'll need you more when you're older. Yeah, it's very interesting. So my mother-in-law's watched the kids um, for the majority of their when, when they were little. She still does before and after school, and she, she is their favorite person. And I had to initial, I had to be okay, I had to be cool with that, and I'm very cool with that. And people are like, "You don't want to be their favorite person." I'm like, someday they're gonna really need me. Yeah. It's cool that they can hang out with their grandmother, but they have extra people that are trusted to them they have a whole pile of those people and and that's that's what they need you're right that support network is huge Mm -hmm. they have a network of people because i always i'll I'll ask the kids sometimes i'll just be like who's your person if something happens and you need to go talk to that person and you know that they're going to believe you who are your people and they're always like well you mom i'm like well you can tell me anything it's like but who else do you have right and they're like oh grandma and dad and i was just like good you know you you feel supported so I think that's more important, again, than that quantity. Yep. We could wipe all the noses on the planet, and that doesn't mean we're there for our kids. <laughs> wow. So, and maybe this is just a fallacy. I tell myself my kids turned out pretty good, so I'm pretty happy <laughs> with them. <laughs> and I we like had a it. great nanny that taught them far more than I would have known as an, a new mom to Well, teach and I think that's very interesting. So, like, my mother-in-law, she should have been a kindergarten teacher. Like, she had – she like she taught them stuff but also they did crafts and like every time they go to grandma's they're like doing crafts or learning things or whatever and it's just like perfect 
Exactly. That is perfect because I don't want messes in my house. Like I don't <laughs> like, you know, I'll read books and stuff, but like they're ferocious book readers because she read them books like literally five hours a day. Like that was the perfect environment for them to grow up in. It was. And, and it you're, still is. you're really, really lucky oh, that you have that lucky. support I network. I realize that. <laughs> I realize that. It worked out great. Um, okay. So I just want you to talk about some – talk about the pet health insurance – talk about some pet health insurance for us, and then we'll get you out of here. So pet health insurance is more widespread now. So what has been the factors for this um, beyond just consumer knowledge – of it being an option. Well, I don't think consumer knowledge is still even that prevalent. It's not, but I think it's getting better probably. Um, and there's more options, I feel like. I would say that there are a lot of reasons that people are aware of insurance. First off, the insurance product itself mm -hmm. has greatly improved. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what comp company you look at. Mm -hmm. um, years ago, I had a beautiful King... Uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel mm -hmm. Puppy. This is a breed that has a ton of inherited problems, mm -hmm. a ton of things that can go wrong with it. And I was all ready to sign him up. I mean, I was to the point, um, not with my company. It was mm -hmm. a different company. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have mattered. It was the product then. I was to the point of giving him my credit card number. And I said, well, hold it. This is going to cover if he develops a heart condition, right? And they said, um, no. I said, well, how about if he develops luxating patellas, which mm -hmm. are kneecaps? Mm -hmm. Again, another problem in that breed. Oh, no, no. This doesn't cover any congenital or hereditary stuff. And I'm like, so what does it cover? Now, bear in mind, I'm a hospital owner at this yeah, point. Yeah, you know stuff. And he, they said, oh, well, if it gets an ear infection, it'll cover, you know, the treatment for an ear infection. And I said, good God, I'm a veterinarian. If I can't take care of my dog's ear infection, we have a big problem. So at that point, there was no value for me to have an insurance mm -hmm. product for him. Yeah, and I've seen, and I've looked at insurance products too, Yes, you know, for pets. And I was just like, because I had golden retriever at the time. And I'm like, how about hip dysplasia? How about tumors? How about, you know, because I knew what the yes. potential options of his hereditary were. So now the answer is yes and yes and yes. Oh, so the awesome. products have gotten much better. Mm -hmm. It's a much better um, value proposition for the owner. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important owners realize this is not an investment. Mm -hmm. You hope you never get your money out of these policies. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, it means something bad has happened to your pet. Mm -hmm. um, really, when they do surveys, they find that the biggest reason that people get pet insurance is because it shows how much they love their pet. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it shows that they're a responsible pet owner and it's peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Finance doesn't show up until the fifth reason on mm. the list. So very far down that list. Mm -hmm. So um, it is. it truly is a peace of mind. I have mm. insurance on my lab. Um, my goal was to never use it. I did have to use it just for some routine surgery, fortunately, mm -hmm. nothing catastrophic. Um, but it is peace of mind to know that if I'm hiking in the mountains mm -hmm. and he blows this ACL, of course I'm going to get it fixed. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I've got pet insurance. You won't be $4,000 yeah. in a hole. And my daughter now has a cat, and she lives in New Orleans mm -hmm. in veterinary cares. Pretty pricey in New Orleans. Hmm. And mom can't help her. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at a big national conference, and I get a text from her. Kitten, he's a six months old. Humphrey is squinting, and his eye is goopy. And I'm like, and it's a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And I'm like, oh, You're like, great. send me a picture. <laughs> uh, I said, yeah, let's do a little tele telemedicine. Yeah. Now I'm like, I told my husband, I said, 
did you know Humphrey is squinting mm-hmm. in one eye? No, no, she didn't tell me anything. I said, she's going to have to go to the emergency room and it's going to be expensive. That's expensive. And, uh, but thank God they're there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I said, if he's still squinting, he's got to go. Mm-hmm. So it was just a peace of mind to know that she has that option. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one thing. Another mm-hmm. thing that, it, yes, I do think that owners are becoming more aware of it. Um, certainly the role that pets play in our life has changed. Yes. Um, and it continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also think that there are some mechanisms that help drive awareness of pet insurance. So, for instance, the employee benefit, op- uh, voluntary employee benefits, a lot of time mm. in the suite of services offering that you get as an employee of a company, and it can be a big company or a little company, you can um, sign up for pet insurance and they will that. do a payroll deduction. So it's, <gasps> and oftentimes there's a discount uh, because you have a group plan. So I'm making it, myself know yes, too. My husband yes. just changed jobs and I don't remember seeing pet insurance in the suite, but I'll so. Look. We should talk afterwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but it is very, um, very common um, benefit. And it's not all huge companies. Um, there are some very small companies that mm-hmm. offer it um, up to Amazon is wow. a company that offers it. So oh, wow. some very, very, very um, sizable companies mm-hmm. that do. They've actually done studies and they have found that satisfaction with the employer when there are voluntary pet health insurance um, offerings, mm-hmm. satisfaction with the employer goes up significantly. Well, and in the workplace. you're taking care of the whole family. Correct. The entire family. Correct. Correct. And our pets and are our family. Shows they care. Mm-hmm. So it was some interesting research that came out about a year that's ago. That's really interesting. Yeah. So so anyway, so I think that that's part of it. And then unfortunately, veterinary costs have really gone up. And I do want to say it's not that veterinarians are getting rich. <laughs> right. As a practice owner, I can tell you the last time I figured my turnkey costs, which are what it costs me to open the doors to my hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and not pay for inventory and not pay my doctors, mm-hmm. but pay everything else. The last time I calculated that was in early 2008, mm-hmm. and it was about $4 a minute. Whoa. And I will promise you it's probably double to triple that for most hospitals now mm-hmm. because expenses have just continued to go up. Mm-hmm. So, Especially if they're in the Denver metro area because yes. rent is expensive. Rent, um, Build equipment, equipment, everything has gone up. So, um, so unfortunately, it's very expensive to run a veterinary hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and the fees have to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, veterinarians used to use pharmacy as a little bit of a subsidy because they could mark up the pharmacy a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And now with the outsourcing of pharmacy, mm-hmm. what pet owners will see moving forward is that veterinarians are going to be forced to actually charge fair market value for their services, which I have not been doing. So, um, so right. I only, unfortunately, I only anticipate costs continuing mm-hmm. to go up. So pet insurance is a great strategy. As veterinarians, we also could be educating our clients a little bit better mm-hmm. over the lifetime cost of, of what it costs to mm-hmm. have a pet. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you get a new golden puppy mm-hmm. and you come in to see me, I'm going to say, Jamie, Arlo is gorgeous. He's so ever. cute. Mm-hmm. So let me just take a second and, and explain to you what what you're looking at over his life. I know you've had a golden before. Mm -hmm. So you know that the first year will be a little bit more expensive Mm -hmm. because it's multiple vaccinations Mm -hmm. and his neutering. Um, And then years two through five, barring any accidents, should be pretty much just Mm -hmm. preventive care. 
But at age six, he's going to be equivalent to about a 50 to 60-year-old person. And we're going to want to see him twice a year. We're going to want to do blood work twice a year and really watch him a little bit more carefully. So you're going to see your costs go up a little bit more starting Mm -hmm. at age six. And there are three tools that we find that are really helpful to help you as a a pet owner Mm -hmm. be able to provide the care you want for Arlo. Mm -hmm. The first is wellness plans. Mm -hmm. And we offer one. We can talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. The second is pet insurance. And the third is a third-party payer system. If you have all these in place, you're in great shape to take care of your pet. We just got so lucky with ours. (laughs) You did. You did. And you hope that that's the case. Yeah. Until until the end, I just know it won't be. I was like, this is just the anomaly. Like, we got to age 12 without literally needing anything but those yearly. And that is amazing. So you're so, so happy with that. Yeah. I was like, he was cheap up until (laughs) – so I think it's important for, again, owners mm-hmm. to realize it's not an investment. Mm-hmm. It's a risk-sharing strategy. Risk You're sharing. asking a company to share the risk of Just pet like ownership. Just healthcare. Yeah. I mean, do you want to use your car insurance? Yeah. Do you want to use your home insurance? insurance? Professional liability insurance? No. So why would you expect to get a return on investment for <laughs> pet insurance? <laughs> All right. So uh, before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? And then we'll get you out of here. Um, they can go to a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they can go to LinkedIn okay. and look me up. That's probably the best way for yeah. them to find me, honestly. Okay. So it's uh, Wendy Hauser, Dr. Wendy Hauser or Wendy okay. Hauser yeah. DVM. And we'll put everything in the links. Um, okay, so last question. What is the one person every new vet practice owner should have to help them and their practice thrive? I, I'm going to morph your question. That's me. Okay. It's who who are the multiple people they mm-hmm. need? And it is a really great board of advisors. Yeah. And that board of advisors will be comprised of an attorney. It'll mm-hmm. be appraised of an accountant. It'll be um, maybe a trusted um, mentor mm-hmm. or coach, mm-hmm. um, depending what the roles are they need. That's really great to have somebody that's already walked in these shoes mm-hmm. that can give you a little bit more information and, and help you balance mm-hmm. things out. Those outside eyes on all of this They stuff. are. They are. And I do think that having a professional life coach mm-hmm. is huge. And most veterinarians don't do that. It's important. It's a great perk I get with my company. Yeah. And I really, really love having my coach um, because he's um, – constantly challenge me to yeah. up my game i love it and i always say coaches need coaches too they do they I, do i have a coach i tell people all the time i have a coach yeah. find one yep they're absolutely important. they're so important yeah. well jamie thanks it was great talking with you today <laughs> thanks for coming <laughs> thank you so much for listening or watching be sure to subscribe on youtube itunes or wherever you prefer to listen if you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review Until next week, be abundant.